in a blue ocean, a lot more education is typically needed, and that's a bit harder to then build self-service at first, right? I, I think that's the experience we went through with with Cobalt was that, right? We needed to educate the market on our model first, and then when we had educated our market and we were an established brand, mm-hmm. now we could move back to the product-led model a bit more, right? Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations, we handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Welcome back to Leaders of B2B. Today I'm joined by the co-founder and chief growth officer at UserFlow, a company offering the fastest and most user-friendly onboarding flow builder for SaaS and online businesses. Yes, UserFlow lets you improve user onboarding so your conversion rates don't suffer. Espen Fries Jensen, welcome to Leaders of B2B. Thanks a lot, Noah. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. And, you know, the topic of conversation that, you know, we'll get into today will resonate with a lot of our our SaaS founders and SaaS leaders tuning into the podcast today. Before we get into user flow and the origin story behind that company and the moment when you, you know, first kind of engendered the the idea for that brand, what do you think a lot of SaaS companies and online businesses get wrong in their user onboarding? I think the most common problem is that you assume that your user can figure out things themselves. And I think this, uh, a part of this, or you can say the opposite, that they can't figure out anything. Uh, I would say those are the two camps that you have. And I think where SaaS has gravitated towards the last 10 years has been they don't they can't figure out anything. Let's put a lot of customer success people on this task to support them, handhold them, you know, uh, help them um, and so on. Where there's now a new movement with the whole product-led growth, and we can speak more about that where you are trying to get people to self-serve again and, and learn uh, for themselves because that's really what they want, right? That's the, the end-user era, as some call it. Uh, like end-users want to be in control. They don't want to do these onboarding meetings and customer success calls all the time. They just want to figure it out on, them, on their own and kind of be able to onboard themselves. So that's a win-win for both. The, the, the customer and for the business providing the service because they can save cost on, on people. Let's dive into that, Espen, because that's, that's fascinating. So users actually prefer to figure things out for themselves instead of having their, their hands held by members of a, a customer success team. That's kind of the argument you're making with user flow, right? Yeah, you can say that's a very binary statement, right? <laughs> I, I don't think it's everyone who has it like that, but it's definitely the trend, I think. And it stems from, you know, the younger generation. They were brought up with tech, right? And tech was just a natural part of their lives. And they were used to using tools themselves. So now, like buying software, it should just be a thing. You can sign up for a free trial, try it out. 
get onboarded yourself, uh, get to know it yourself without having to do a ton of calls, either sales calls or customer success calls, right? So I see it, I still see there is a group of people who might still want the demos and so on. And it's, that's also fine. Uh, but the trend is definitely going in the other direction that people want more self-service and 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 uh, be able to, to use the product themselves. And what does that mean for SaaS companies? Does that mean, you know, essentially less bodies on their customer success team and therefore lower cost if they utilize user flow? Yeah, I, I think that's a part of it, right? Reduce CAC or have your... not. You can either reduce headcount or you can like refocus your headcount on better tasks, more high value tasks, right? Like now we have this customer, but we can see based on their usage, they could probably spend X amount more. Let's let's try to get them on a call and, and talk about that, but let's not waste the time on the initial purchase, right? So I think that's, that's the kind of way you can think about it. So SaaS businesses... The way I would put it, and I'm going to put it a bit harsh, but is if you don't catch this wagon of product-led growth, you're going to, somebody's going to uh, kill your business in, a, in, in 10 years, right? You need to jump on this wagon of allowing people to self-serve because that's the future. How did you, I know you have, you know, plenty of experience before user flow, but when did you kind of, you know, like when, when was this kind of, you know, product-led growth you know, when did that kind of enter your wheelhouse? Is that an experience that you, you know, came to kind of a light bulb moment at another company? Yeah. So prior to Userflow, I co-founded uh, Cobalt.io, uh, which is a Pentest as a service company. So it's also a software as a service business. What they uh, do is basically penetration testing as a service. So you can get like a, a penetration test, like a security test of your web app or mobile app on demand via this online platform. Uh, and what we, so like any other SaaS business, we started in 2013. We started a bit self-service, but then over time, uh, we were in a very blue ocean market and it needed to educate the market a lot. So we moved a lot towards the schedule a demo. We removed self-sign-up and it was all like schedule a demo, customer success, you know. And I think a lot of SaaS businesses did that eight, ten years ago. Um, but then... Two years ago, something like that, we started seeing, okay, some of our customers, and especially the smaller customers, but also bigger customers, they really could do this themselves, right? And there's no reason for us to do these calls with these customers. And we have heard, heard about this product-led growth movement that a lot of businesses were seeing a lot of success with. Datadog, Zoom is another great example of somebody who has a very strong product-led model. And you're kind of seeing, okay, we need to do this as well because we 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 say we are on-demand pen testing, but we still say they need to do a call to actually do that, right? So we needed to move towards uh, removing that call. And that's what we did. So we started this product-led growth journey for the small customers. What is that? Two, two three years ago and, and started to progress towards that. And that is what piqued my interest in the in the whole thing. And that's why... At that point, Cobalt had grown to, you know, it's a 200 people company today. So it had grown quite a bit and I was ready to move on to start a new company. And this uh, was a super interesting area. And that's why I decided to join my co-founder, Sebastian, who had already built like a kind of onboarding platform. Uh, but the business part was yet to take off. So I decided to join him and 
and uh, really focus on uh, building, uh, helping other businesses become product-led uh, through in-app onboarding. Oh, that's that's such a great story, Espen. Well, before we get into you know how it can benefit our SaaS leaders tuning in today, does user flow accommodate you know a certain industry with regard to SaaS companies, you know, it, like fintech or HR tech, or is it for can, can SaaS companies across the board, regardless of industries, utilize um, this service? I would say. I would say any business that's a SaaS business can do it. I think we cater more towards B2B than B2C. It's more of a question how much people want to invest in a tool like ours. Uh, because if you have a lot of users, it's, it's a bit harder with B2C to justify the cost. But with B2B, it's easy, right? Because every customer is very uh, valuable. That That's our biggest segment is by far B2B SaaS. Uh, but that's a huge market, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right on, right on. Well... If you're a SaaS leader tuning in today, CEO of a SaaS company or something like that, we talked about user flow and, you know, product-led growth, but what are what's kind of like one or two of the key kind of value props that can make the life of a, a SaaS leader a lot easier and can help them? You know, how can, what does that partnership look like when a SaaS company uh, onboards with user flow? Yeah, so it's really about, I would say, on a high level, two things. The, the part of the customer, if you have a free trial, it's about trial conversion. You can use it a lot for trial conversion, getting the user to those uh, infamous uh, aha moments. Or if even if you don't have a trial, it's about retention, right? Better onboarding your customers, getting making sure they understand the product, get retained, on, discover new features. So that's the, the part that you can say is kind of like a sales metric or customer success metric. And then the other part is reducing... CAC, basically, uh, so reducing the customer acquisition cost and customer service cost uh, by having more automated onboarding, uh, because it is expensive to have customer success managers onboard every single customer. Right. Most definitely. And, um, you know, are some of the six, tell us about, I guess I want to assume, but tell us about some of the success stories of SaaS businesses who have, um, you know, integrated uh, user flow into their organizations? What are some of the, you know, advantageous results that they were able to garner because of that? Yeah, no, I think it's it's very much spot on to what what I talked about, right? Uh, we do have some uh, some uh, case studies on our on our platform. We do have a, a no-code platform, actually another B2B platform called Stagger, who uh, implemented it and, and really saw a, a great uh, kind of uh, increase in their trial conversion and so on. Uh, and we have numerous cases like that. You can see case studies on our website of how customers are improving trial conversion, how they're improving retention numbers, but also how they are removing the need to have developers involved because a lot of this functionality is something you would ask developers to build in the past. But with our platform, it's all no code, which means you can uh, have your the customer success team or your product managers basically built this stuff and that's a, a another big value add so this is stuff that a lot of SaaS businesses plan to build anyway the whole product-led growth movement but getting developers to prioritize it over other features is hard and so what we allow them to do is really add the, the give the work to somebody else who's not a developer right and actually maybe somebody who's actually a lot closer 
to the customer and better understand what the customer needs in, in terms of onboarding. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so the company was founded in February of last year, 2021, right? No, actually, so it was, you can say, officially founded in 2018. Okay. I joined in February 2021. Gotcha. Um, okay. So my co-founder, is uh, he's like a code whiz. He's like a fantastic developer. Um and he started building the product back in 2018. Actually, when he started out, it was not in-app onboarding. It was a video, a reusable video recording tool. Okay. But then he had built, on top of that tool, he had built a product tour himself. And everybody kept asking him, how did you build that? Can we get something like that from our, for our website? And that made him think, okay... Maybe I should build a tool that actually can do these guides instead. And that's what he ended up doing. So he started building it. And then he had built an amazing product already. And then, but the business was, as I said, yet to kind of take off. And that's where I came in to help. I had a lot of experience from my time at Cobalt, building out sales, customer success, all this stuff, uh, growth in general. So I took that with me and, and decided to join Sebastian and, and uh, run this business. Well, that's exciting. And you're still doing things with Cobalt, right? Yeah, so I'm still attached as an advisor, but Cobalt is doing amazing. So, and I'm not operationally involved anymore. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't do anything operationally there, but I'm still there as an advisor and and giving inputs here and there. But they're doing amazing. They're growing uh, really fast. I think the last year's number was like sixty percent in ARR growth, which is great for a business yes. at that time in their business. So, so yeah, it's uh, it's a really great business. I'm very proud of uh, having founded that company. Yeah, what? So you know, you were with Cobalt for quite a while, and then you know, you um, in February of 2021, I believe, you know, connected with your partner at Userflow. Were you just looking for, you know, is it just was it just that entrepreneurial spirit to get involved with something new and and start building again that dr- drove you to that decision? Yeah, for sure. I, I think. Uh, as I said, Cobalt was, when I left, Cobalt was 150 people. They grew to 200 within the year I left. It was just a very different business, right? Uh, and uh, for me, as a founder, you have two kind of, you can either go in a, in a more like, take a step back within the organization and maybe uh, uh, like give advice and stuff and so on. Or you can leave the company and start something new, right? Because you have to give space to the new organization. You want to build a scalable business where the founder is not a need to have, right? It's more like a a nice to have. And I think we had reached that stage, right? We had built an amazing organization where people could figure out things themselves. We had a management team and all this stuff, right? So it's a true company. And uh, I, uh, as an entrepreneur, prefer the earlier stage, right? I love... The, where you can do like a small like let's change this and then it's changed in the next second right and then it uh, it just like uh, runs and and I love that time uh, and really growing the business from the early stage and another thing that intrigued me was I think now that I had done Cobalt I'd learned a lot right so Cobalt was a, is a VC funded business uh, raised like approximately 40 million dollars and you know grew employee wise uh, every year but what we're trying to do at Userflow is to bootstrap the business. So we are we don't have any VC funding and uh, we're growing with a very small team. We actually only uh, the two founders and one freelancer. 
but we have seven figure AR. Uh, so uh, it's it's really growing fast and 400 plus customers and stuff like that. So it's a completely different style of business, which is also something that uh, made me very interested uh, in trying to do that. Uh, and so far, so good. Well, that's incredible. Esper- uh, congratulations on your success. You know, why did you go- why did you make that decision to you know bootstrap the second time around? I think uh, it's because so first of all, it's easier when you're a second time founder, right? The first time founders, which we were with Cobol, we were four co-founders, have never built businesses before. I think at that point we. We needed advice and we also needed money, right? We didn't have the money to, to run it ourselves. I think um, when we started Userflow, both Sebastian and I had a bit of money on the bank account. So we weren't as stressed about like getting salaries, but you know, we got salaries pretty quickly anyway, so it wasn't a big problem. But it was also just like this whole idea, like is the VC, the VC funding way is not always the right way, I think. And a lot of businesses, could really build amazing businesses without being VC funded, right? And for me, that was the stage I was on. I think I had lived out the dream of like, you know, the VC journey and all that stuff. It's very, it's very kind of, I think a lot of people get caught up with the dream of that and the, you know, getting in tech crunch and all this stuff with like (laughs) your amazing funding round, right? Like that's everybody's dream. And I lived out that with Cobalt. But now that I tried that, I wanted to try something else. And I think uh, bootstrapping uh, is awesome, right? Because you have a lot more control of your company. You don't have these like um, this, this um, artificial pressure to grow, right? And uh, you can you can kind of make your own decisions. Of course, we have our own ambitions to grow, which is great, and we should have that always, right? But but it's not it's not somebody external determining that. Um, I, w- I wouldn't say any path is the right way. I think for some businesses, the right way to fund, uh, raise funding. For other businesses, the right way to bootstrap. But I think right now, it's a bit too much skewed towards raising funds. And there are too many businesses that go on that journey and fail, right? Because there's only a limited 1 billion companies in the world. And if you all try to go on that route, then you're not going to succeed, right? Yeah. So so I think that's that's the... That, that's something somebody sometimes you need to think about. Is that really what I want to do with my business or not, right? right. Funding is not always right. You know, if, if you're willing to share, what, what like hard lessons have you had to learn through bootstrapping? You know, um, like certainly it was easier to start a company the second time around or, or you know, join a, a company that was um, fairly young in its journey as you did, Espen. But have there been any um, moments where, okay, like this was a little trickier than Cobalt? Yeah, no, I think like it's not, I think it's, it's very much like the early days at Cobalt because you as a founder have to do everything, right? Which is, I like that. I'm a generalist. Sebastian is a generalist. That's good. You need to know that, right? You, you have to take on a lot of different hats. But I think the, the hardest thing we met is that with some customers, and that's because of the whole, the way SaaS businesses are, you measure people on the wrong metric, or you measure companies on the wrong metrics, so we will have certain customers who will try to ask a question like, so how many employees do you have in your company? Did you raise money? You know, these kind of like vetting questions. Yeah. And then you're like, no, no, we're only a few employees. We didn't raise money. Ah, okay. Can I, should I go with you guys? 
Well, we have a profitable business with 400 plus people. We have an amazing product that's much better than the competition. So what metrics are you going to use for assessing, right? I, I think that's really, that's the only thing we met a couple of times. And that's because of that, that, that world where a lot of businesses are raising money and that's the expected behavior, right? right. But, and then when they meet this strange animal uh, that is not doing that, it's weird to them somehow, right? But most of the times, I would say the majority of the times, people, after we tell the other story, they say, ah, that makes a lot of sense. I actually think that's cool, right? And uh, then they, they uh, go on uh, to use us. Yeah, uh, that um, makes perfect sense. And I'm sure a lot of folks are listening in and they're thinking, okay, how? You know, how have you, Espen, been able to scale the company with, you know, you, your co-founder and a freelancer? So I'd love to dive into that. There's a lot of things to unpack there. But I mean, let's just start with, you know, like, I, I guess I'll ask you a general question, you know, kind of how have you been able to do that? It Like, what do you have like certain lead gen tactics that you've absolutely found work like magic? I mean, what is the key there? Yeah. So, of course, we had a lot of learnings from our past experience with other companies. So uh, I think in Cobalt, I had to learn when I built sales and customer says, I had to learn a lot more about what works, what doesn't work. A lot of the that knowledge I could take with me and do the right thing from the beginning, right? Uh, so that's, of course, an unfair advantage. But a lot of this stuff you could also just find online how to do, right? So so I think the, the core of our model is really product-led growth, right? So what that means is we have Sebastian, who's a strong engineer, who's built a strong product combined with a freelance UX who helps make sure the UX is top-notch. I think that's the core of our growth, right? Like we have an extremely strong product, really good product, easy to use, and these kind of things, right? Then on top of that, we add a, a lot of different things. So we add user flow and user flow, of course. We do in-app onboarding. Uh, so we, uh, when somebody signs up for a trial, we, uh, we onboard them uh, ourselves uh, or automatically, right, uh, with user flow. We have automated email campaigns, so sales and customer outreach is done via automated uh, email campaigns, so sequences and so on. And we also rely a lot on, you know, content marketing and ads and stuff like that, which are, you know, uh, stuff that doesn't require people to kind of sell, right? And we can do that, I think, because we are in a red ocean, right? So we are in a market where people are searching for our solution or they're searching for our competitors, right? And I think that helps us uh, a lot. I think it's definitely harder to build this kind of product-led model in a blue ocean. It, I don't say it can't be done, but it, it just that in a blue ocean, uh, a lot more education is typically needed and that's a bit harder to then build self-service at first, right? I, I think that's the experience we went through with with COBOL, it was that, right? We needed to educate the market on our model first. And then when we had educated our market and we were an established brand, mm -hmm. now we could move back to the product-led uh, model a bit more, right? So, so, so I think that's really what we do is like having a strong core in the product and then building a lot of automation, automated onboarding, automated emailing, and so on. And that scales, right? Um, Definitely. So, so, yeah. so, you know, it, so like with that scaling piece and the automation, how have you been able to manage, you know, 400 plus customers and keep those relationships 
engaged with only three people. Yeah, and I think that that comes back to what I said, really, those three things, right? Like strong product, automated onboarding, automated emailing. The strong product makes sure that the product is easy to use, so you don't get a lot of questions. Whenever we get a question on our support, we always think, how could we solve this in the product? So that's a lot about product that growth is you always think product first. You don't think, oh, I need to hire more support people because I'm getting a lot of questions. Yes, right? Right. Uh, no, you should think, you should think, okay, why am I getting this question? Could I solve this question by fixing the product to be easier to use? Or there's something we need to change here to make it easier to understand and so on, right? So by changing that mindset a bit, you, you get a stronger and stronger UX of your, your, your product and, and less and less support tickets. Uh, despite scaling, we don't get more support tickets than we get then we get uh, two, uh, one, year, one year ago, we get, got the same amount of uh, support tickets as we do today. And we have, you know, three X as many customers. So, so yeah, it, that, that's a big part of it. And then we, of course, have the automated onboarding that ensures they, they learn about our product. And then the automated emailing is for those customers who are maybe got away a bit away from the platform right and they they're not there anymore but you need to bring them back in then we have some like campaigns that highlight some of the values of our platform uh, over time we're going to make it more and more segmented right like really think about okay is this user locked out for a very long time then we need to send them certain material if this user is very active maybe we need to send them some more advanced material, you know, so there are different scenarios you can think about, but you can always think about it in an automated fashion. How are you able to, you know, kind of keep a pulse on your customers? You know, is there a potential upsell opportunity? Does this person run the rate of churning? You know, do you just have, you know, are those things that are built into your automation? I think, yeah, so we have lists we use, right? I think this is a gap in the market, and I actually wrote an article uh, for SASMAC on the search for a SaaS CRM. Uh, so we are using, um, we're using HubSpot as a CRM, and it's okay, right? It's the traditional CRM. They're getting a bit better. But I think as more and more move to this product-led model, there's a need to better have better product metrics in your CRM, for instance. So understand how are people using your, your product? When are they logging in? Have they not logged in for a long time? So what we're doing today is actually we use, we have a list in user flow, and then we also use a tool called ChartMogul, as well as Intercom. And those are the lists we use to check how active are our customers? Are there somebody who's not been logged in for a very long time? Should we do outreach to them? And then we can do automated email campaigns as well as personal outreach to the ones that are, are less active, right? So, so that's, we do keep an eye on our customers, but we do it in a very you know, data-driven fashion where you track your users based on product metrics. And an easy one is, of course, that they log in, right? But you can look at a lot more than that. How active are they with certain features and so on? Regarding the upgrades, we can we do campaigns about features, but then also inside the product, it's about highlighting your upgrade possibilities, right? And really driving the user towards buying more inside your product. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So I'm curious, you know, when when somebody, you know, signs up for user flow, obviously your onboarding is automated. Is your last kind of course we live in a a remote and digital virtual world but is your last kind of like physical touch point with the customer 
like, you know, potentially the sales call and then it's all automated from there. Am I thinking about that correctly? For many customers, we don't do any calls. Uh, They just themselves and with a credit card. But there are some that we do calls with. And the way we prefer to do calls and what we push towards is doing the call after they did the trial, right? Because then they can ask much better questions. They have a, a, a basic understanding of the product. Uh, and so on. So that's always what we push for. If somebody requests a demo, so we do offer that option on our website. It's a, like a tertiary kind of a, a call to action. Uh, so if you go to our website, you will see sign up for a free trial or view a demo. So you can view a video demo or sign up for the free trial. And then the tertiary action is like request a demo, right? Uh, and when they then request a demo, we will tell them, Great, we're happy to do a demo, but if you haven't signed up for a trial yet, we highly recommend you do a trial, right? And then you can have much more valuable conversations uh, with your prospects about the platform because they already have seen the product, they experience what it can do, and maybe they have more specific questions about certain gaps they're seeing or something they want to know about, right? I often feel like those first calls where they haven't done the trial is a bit... You're telling really the basics, right? And that's kind of a waste of time, right? Because it's they could have experienced that on their own. So, so yeah. But we do offer that possibility. And, and I want to say product-led, and that's a common misconception, product-led doesn't mean that no people are involved, right? It just means you put your product first and foremost. You make your product your primary growth engine. But people are still there in the engine, right? People are there to do that call if needed. We are, we are people on the support. I think that's another important thing in support. People should feel you're getting, uh, I'm, I'm actually a big, I think it's fine to offer links to documentation. That's what we do. And we have a really strong documentation so people can discover themselves. But if people ask questions, you need to be there as a person. I always felt like if you go to any, let's take any consumer facing product where the support is like, you ask a question and then you, it's clearly a bot answering and it's not giving you the right answer and it's super annoying, right? It, that's just, that's annoying for customers. I think at the right times, you need to have people because otherwise you're going to annoy your customers. It's not always automation. That's the best thing. 100%. Well, Espen, I'd, I'd love to know, you know, here we are in Q1 of 2022 and user flow has gone from strength to strength. And it's been so fascinating hearing about your journey with the company and how it can help listeners as well. But, you know, what's next on the horizon? You know, what what are you guys looking to do? How are you looking to grow over the next kind of, uh, you know, 11 to 12 months? Yeah, so we, we are continuing on the journey of building the best uh, in-app product onboarding possible. We have a lot of great stuff coming out. Uh, we just launched a resource center uh, this month, which is basically a more sticky thing, right? So imagine that you can do your in-app onboarding, but now we also have a widget where you can actually, you know, always go and find documentation, always start a onboarding flow. And so you can always, it's always on, right? So that's a, a we're very excited about that. We're also getting our SOC 2 so we can move up market a bit more. And, and these kind of things, I think that's becoming the norm in the, SaaS world that you need to be SOC 2 these days. And luckily, there's a lot of great platforms for becoming SOC 2. We use the platform called Drata. We're growing, we're moving up market, but we're not forgetting about our small customers as well. So we are, 
yeah, I think we're just continuing the growth journey. And, and the way we're going to grow employee-wise is more going to be, do we need to grow employees or not, right? It's not going to be this year we're going to hire 100 people, right? It's more like feeling it out and seeing, okay, now we're running into capacity issues, then we need to increase the organization. But right now it's not like that at all. No, that's that's a great way to be thinking about it, no doubt. Well, Espen, I've so loved our conversation today. Thanks so much for coming on Leaders of B2B. Um, but before yep. we sign off, tell listeners where they can engage with you and your work. You mentioned a fascinating article for SAS Magazine. I'd love to be able to include that resource yep. in the show notes. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm on LinkedIn, very excited on LinkedIn. You can also find me at Twitter, SMFJ. And of course, userflow.com, I do publish, uh, I, we both have a video series about uh, product-led at Userflow where we actually share exactly how we do product-led at Userflow. And we also have onboarding best practices and stuff. Yeah, those are probably the best places to, to engage with me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Espen Fries Jensen, for coming on Leaders of B2B. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.